Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Leonardo Trisande is a tenured associate professor in pediatrics, environmental medicine, and population health at the NYU School of Medicine, in health policy at the NYU Wagner School of Public Service, and at the NYU College of Global Public Health. Dr. Chasande's research focuses on identifying the role of environmental exposures in childhood obesity and cardiovascular risks and documenting the economic costs for policymakers of failing to proactively prevent diseases of environmental origin in children. Very important subject. Also, he's the best-selling author of Sicker, Fatter, Poorer, The Urgent Threat of Hormone-Disrupting Chemicals to Our Health and Future and What We Can Do About It. And we need to do something about it. We definitely do. And we're going to dive into that today. Leonardo, welcome. Thanks for having me. So we are so excited you're here. My wife and I discovered you in our dear friend Kelly Levesque's podcast. And then my wife immediately went to to pick up your book, which I think is a must read titled Sicker, Fatter, Poorer, The Urgent Threat of Hormone-Disrupting Chemicals to Our Health and Future, and What We Can Do About It. Suffice to say, that, that's a title that's right up our alley and super important for us here at Mind Buddy Green. So let's start there. What inspired you to write that book? So I've been in the field for about 15 years, and I'm glad to say that I've had impact on the field in a number of ways as a pediatrician coaching families on how to take the safe and simple steps and limit exposures and by doing research that ultimately tells the story in people's lives of the effects of these chemicals um so i've given plenty of 30 second pitches and safe and simple steps to families um but i felt like this needed some kind of way to get out there in a bigger and broader way. Um, And I felt like I had stories from my own clinical practice too, to mix into that. And that's the mixture that we try to do a good job in, in Sicker Fetter Poor. And so if we take a step back, you know, maybe let's give our audience a primer, you know, start with what is the endocrine system? Talk about disruptors. What are they? Why they're so dangerous and the connection between chemicals and disease. So a big question for you, but like, let's, you know, what is it? Totally. The damage. What do we need to know? So hormones are our natural signaling molecules and they basically underlie every biological function you can think of temperature metabolism salt sugar even sex you name it hormones are involved in it they communicate signals from organ to organ within organ whatever Um, endocrine disruptors are synthetic chemicals that scramble that molecular signal and thereby contribute to disease and disability and we know of about a thousand synthetic chemicals that can scramble those molecular signals and contribute to disease, the evidence is strongest for four categories of chemicals. Bisphenols, used in aluminum can linings and thermal paper receipts. Pesticides, used in agriculture. Phthalates, used in personal care products, cosmetics, and food packaging. And flame retardants, which are used in electronics and furniture. And so there are a lot of these chemicals, and they're everywhere. Homes work, schools, 
food all over the place. Like what are some of the most common household items, if you will, where these chemicals lie and that everyone listening right now should get out their pencil or iPhone and take notes and see what, do a little inventory, if you will. Food is really the centerpiece, uh, the main path by which these chemicals get into your body. It's not the only way, uh, but you think about pesticides in agriculture, you're eating uh, pepper or uh, some lettuce. It came uh, from a garden or a farm, um, and to varying degrees, pesticides were sprayed on it to get rid of unwanted creatures or critters. Uh, we have a history of using pesticides going back hundreds, if not further, years. Uh, what we're talking about here are synthetic pesticides that were added um, increasingly since the 1940s, and they ultimately get absorbed into fruits and vegetables that we eat. We can't get rid of it because you can't take off the outer layer, and they ultimately enter our bodies. Um, we're talking about chemicals that are in highly processed or packaged foods. So this plastic wrap we've gotten used to in this fast-paced society, um, those chemicals that are used in the lining that make the plastic softer are... Um, known to uh, both impair the male sex hormone as well as disrupt uh, or maybe enhance the effects of the female sex hormone, not to mention other effects on metabolism. Um, we know that the linings of aluminum cans uh, have a chemical that's a lot of people now know about, bisphenol A or BPA, because it's gotten so much attention. It's notorious in a way. And canned food is the main pathway of exposure. Uh, except for thermal paper receipts when you touch them, those uh, receipts you get, the newfangled receipts with the glossy coating that you get at the coffee shop or what have you. And then the flame retardants don't really enter as readily from food. They can contaminate food, uh, but they are were used for many years uh, to stop the spread of fires. They were intentionally added to upholstery and carpeting. Uh, to prevent the start of fires back from the 1970s, because back in the 70s during the tobacco era, a lot of people were smoking in beds. People thought that tobacco led to fires that killed people's lives. We thought these chemicals might slow the spread of fires, but unfortunately we know they didn't slow the spread of fires and they actually um, affected the brains, the developing brains of kids, contributing to brain damage that was permanent and lifelong. So with regards to food, you talked about pesticides. So safe to assume, buy certified organic if you can. Look at the, the, the clean, the dirty dozen, clean 15 when you're buying fruits and vegetables. Avoid processed foods in packaging. Safe assumption? Yes. So eating organic is known to rapidly reduce your levels of pesticides that are known to affect the developing brains of kids. And this has been successfully identified in high income as well as low income populations. So a lot of people tell me, well, eating organic is more expensive. And I don't disagree with that. But the reality is over the past two decades, especially the past five years, we've seen an acceleration in market share of organic as a component of agriculture. And that has brought with it a competitive pressure to reduce the price. 
So conventional and organic prices are coming closer and closer than ever before, such that the big box stores are putting conventional side by side with organic. In addition, there are, if you're resource limited, which we know a lot of people are being affected with the COVID-19 pandemic right now in that respect, the fruits and vegetables that are the most of concern are those ones where you eat the outer layer. Uh, so an avocado might not, not be as important as let's say lettuce or spinach. There is also a dirty dozen, 12 um, fruits and vegetables that the Environmental Working Group has documented have the highest levels of these pesticides. And there's a clean 15 fruits and vegetables that are less known uh, or least identified, least frequently identified to have these pesticides of concern. So you can pick and choose the fruits and vegetables that are highest priority if resources are limited. So you mentioned canned foods and you know we're in a COVID-19 world now and canned foods are definitely a reality. I see a lot of canned foods that say BPA free. So is, is, that, is that good enough or? So here's a little bit of the, the bad news that so much attention got brought up to BPA about 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's a synthetic estrogen. It makes fat cells bigger, disrupts the production of a protein that protects the heart called adiponectin. I don't need to go on and on about all the things that have been said about BPA, but suffice it to say that the Food and Drug Administration chose not to ban it from cans. And a lot of consumer pressure led to companies doing some quick and dirty things to make people feel better about BPA-free. And they've replaced BPA with 40 or so artists, formerly known as BPA, I like to call it. So bisphenol S, bisphenol F, BPS, BPF, BPP, BPAP, BPZ, it, the list goes on and on. And what, these, what that means is the BP means they kept most of the structure of the chemical that's used intact. And structure follows function. And so you look at a chemical like BPS, which is the most commonly used replacement, it's as estrogenic as toxic embryos and as persistent in the environment. So while some companies have gone to using a, a replacement lining that is bisphenol-free, you can't tell, generally speaking. And so my advice, if possible, is to avoid canned food altogether. Now, the pandemic has presented some complicated circumstances, even in the most resource-rich resource environments in the world. Um, so if that's your only option, that's your only option. Um, at the same time, many companies have gone to glass as well as Tetra Packs uh, for their use. Um, and I'm not saying Tetra Packs are perfect either. They do have a plastic lining, but the plastic they're using there is relatively safe uh, compared to some of these phthalate-derived plastics uh, that mess with the male and female sex hormones. So I'm curious, a lot of people are buying beans and refried beans right now. Uh, what yes. do you, what, what, what's your, what's your go-to when you have to buy your, your beans or refried beans? I usually buy them dry. Um, it's been harder to come by these days. Uh, and I use frankly an Instapot or okay. cook them on the stove and pressure cook or regular old school, uh, steam them that way. Um, that's pretty effective. You know, it's a little harder with beans, let's say, as opposed to canned greens or, or vegetables where uh, you 
you know, those you actually have the alternative of buying them frozen and avoiding the can altogether and going to a frozen plastic bag where the bag is less likely to absorb the chemicals into the food in the first place. I mean, the key there is not microwaving the plastic bag that has the fruits and vegetables. That sets up a whole different set of issues. Right. And so you mentioned children and so much of your research is focused on environmental exposures in childhood and how it leads to all sorts of bad things, whether it's obesity, cardiovascular risks, as well as autism, celiac, et cetera. Could, could you unpack that a little bit and explain that connection? So kids are uniquely vulnerable to these chemicals because they eat more per pound, they drink more water, breathe in more air. So there are other things that they're susceptible to on that basis as well. But the biggest issue is that their organ systems are developing. So we know that, um, for example, brain development in early life is crucial. So if you miswire the brain in infancy or in pregnancy, the effects are permanent and lifelong. Cognitive difficulties, even clinically significant things like autism and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And here's where the science is also caught up, really pointing a finger at some deeper problems than we originally recognized. So as a pediatrician, and, and both of us are parents, you probably remember the baby getting the heel stick uh, for the blood test uh, that would, they put on these filter cards, the newborn screening, which is great. It's helped us identify kids with cystic fibrosis, with uh, congenital thyroid deficiency. Congenital hypothyroidism is one of the things as a pediatrician that it's sad to identify, but it's a joy because you can prevent a child from having a lifetime intellectual disability by replacing that kid's thyroid hormone. They're just not able to produce thyroid hormone uh, and save that child's brain and make that child have proper brain development. Now, we used to think that was the only problem with kids' uh, thyroid hormone and brain development. But lo and behold, we realized that prenatal thyroid hormone is important in shaping a child's brain development. And even in the clinically normal range, a mom who may have even a subtle shift in thyroid hormone can have a child that's less likely to perform as well in school or may be more likely to have autism and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And it's within that clinically normal range that we can't detect uh, as an obstetrician, for example, that pesticides and flame retardants uh, do the harm to kids' brains ultimately uh, and cost our society. So, you know, we're both parents to, to young kids. We have a three and a half year old and one year old uh, girls. And, you know, what, what are the what are the must haves? You know, what, what should we be thinking about as parents to young children? And, you know, look, we both live in New York City and there are trade offs with that, uh, good and bad. <laughs> Uh, but like, what, what are the non-negotiables for parents listening? So the safe and simple steps that I always go to um, begin with looking at plastic. Um, we used to think that there was such a thing as microwave-safe plastic. Well, that's actually for gross misshaping or warping of plastic. Uh, at a microscopic level, these are... Uh, chains of carbon-based molecules that get broken off with heat and absorb into food when you microwave that plastic container. 
Uh, and there are some things that are not directly bound to the plastic that also resorb as well with heat. So not microwaving plastic is important. Avoiding machine dishwashing plastic is important too because the high temperatures in the machine dishwasher and the, the harsh chemicals that are used erode that plastic. If the plastic is act, effectively scratched, obviously scratched or, or broken, or, or even looks a little funny, it's time to throw it away because that protective layer has been undermined. Also, watching the number on the plastic bottle is important. The ones to watch out for are three, six, and seven. Three is for phthalates, plasticizers that we've already talked a little bit about, contributing to obesity, as well as effects on male reproductive function. But what we also know is that number six is, a, is styrene, a known carcinogen, and seven are, is for those bisphenols that we already talked about. So that's pretty much a big picture on the plastics. Um, when, you, when it comes to the flame retardants, you don't have to throw out your furniture here. The flame retardants are sprayed into the piece of furniture. Um, so it's when the furniture is torn or open and that upholstery becomes exposed that's when the dust most effectively accumulates and gets into kids' bodies through hand-to-mouth behavior, crawling, and you know how that goes. But we all have our own subtle hand-to-mouth behaviors, as, as mask wearing has reminded us these, these days. But that brings me to dust and watching out for dust. So opening the air and opening the windows and recirculating the air is a great way to get rid of some of these chemical dusts because the outdoor air doesn't have as much of those chemical dusts as the indoor air. And in addition, using a wet mop or a HEPA filter can also reduce the amount of these particles that can accumulate in people's homes. And so something you've also spoken about is this idea, which I love, is using the power of our wallet to, to make the change that's necessary. So how can we do that? We've seen it time and again. So the reason why we have so many BPA-free baby bottles and sipping cups, and why the FDA actually banned BPA from baby bottles and sipping cups was the consumer attention to BPA-free. Took a couple of breaking short stories in the media, and then a consumer movement rose up, and people started writing or calling companies that made baby bottles uh, and sippy cups and complaining, saying, does my baby bottle have BPA? And all of a sudden, the baby bottle manufacturers changed their methods. They ran to the FDA, says, please ban BPA. We need to calm the public down. And then all of a sudden, the FDA banned it. And that problem was at least solved in the short term. More recently, there are a group of chemicals that we haven't talked about yet called forever chemicals. These are perfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS. There are chemicals in a lot of athletic uh, clothing for oil and water resistance, and they're in nonstick cooking in particular. So the reason why I bring this up is that they're used in a lot of buffet-style food packaging. They also mess with thyroid hormone, by the way, and they can mess with our metabolism, making, it, making us more likely to gain weight, even after a healthy diet intervention, for example, which is what one study found out. But what one study did of five, I mean it, five food packages that they measured these chemicals in, they went to two major supermarket chains. I won't name them because I don't like to out certain companies. But 
these two major supermarket chains, based on that small amount of data, swapped out all their uh, their food packaging. You could see it on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. They shoved them aside and they documented for people they had done the right thing and gotten rid of these PFAS in wow. their food packaging. So your voice matters and you can really change manufacturing for the better. And similarly, the organic movement and the price drops in organic food compared to conventional food really reinforce that point as well. So you mentioned our voice matters and now more than ever, we're focused on how, how there's so many issues disproportionately affecting minority communities and they're certainly not alone when it comes to endocrine disruptors. So can you talk about that? Sure. And this hits home, especially as the COVID-19 pandemic is, is affecting those communities more substantially, um, widening disparities. But what we know from multiple studies is that these chemicals tend to be identified at higher levels and more consistently in African-American and Latino, as well as low-income populations. That's for a variety of reasons. One is the availability of healthy food options and their reliance on more processed or packaged food. Um, there are also certain consumer products that are marketed at those communities that have higher contamination. So for example, cosmetics with phthalates, um, among other endocrine disrupting chemicals. And uh, what we found is that the proportion of the overall hit that society takes from these chemicals is greater out of proportion of the population among African-American and Latino populations. So sadly, these differences in exposure translate to differences in disease that ultimately cost us all as a society. And so, so something else uh, you've talked about, which we see all the time in the wellness community, essential oils. Not so I'm, good, huh? No, and that's, <laughs> that's the cautionary tale here. So a lot of people tried to get on this natural means safe bandwagon, and that's not necessarily true. There are a lot of natural ingredients that actually bypass basic safety reg regulations even more. And essential oils, for example, have been able, have been found to induce um, breast bud development in boys in some cases, uh, as well as other hormone disrupting effects. So these are active biologically too. I mean, it's not to say that synthetic chemicals don't have very serious uh, effects, even at very low doses, but that's not to exclude or assume that these natural ingredients or essential oils are completely safe. So what are some other naturals that shouldn't get a pass just because they're natural? Well, um, this is starting to move outside my wheelhouse. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but my advice here, because most of it is in the, the cosmetic space where you're seeing these ingredients to be added, Again, this is where Environmental Working Group has uh, some really good leadership in the space in documenting uh, the safety or what you, what we know about certain ingredients. Um, Skin Deep is the app. Uh, there's other names that goes by, but that's the core app that focuses on cosmetics. And that's where, again, even in the cosmetics world, we've seen um, you can see short-term changes really produce immediate results. There was a study done in adolescent girls 
who were using cosmetics with the, plast the plasticizing chemicals, the phthalates. And they found that a few days later, and this was not, this was in a low income population as well, you rapidly, 24, 48 hours, they were able to successfully reduce the levels of the detected in, in girls' urines um, of chemicals that can uh, potentially disrupt puberty and have other consequences as well. So is there any other interesting, exciting science or research being done right now that you know, leads you to believe we're on the cusp of some real breakthroughs in terms of how we're looking at uh, environmental toxins and our well-being? So COVID-19 is on our minds in New York City because we were the, the USA's epicenter, if you will. Um, but I bring it up because there's a lot of science out there suggesting that environmental factors can make the disease worse. And that got people thinking, huh, why is that? And when you look more deeply, first it was air pollution and its effects on the immune systems of kids as well as adults. But when you look at these endocrine disrupting chemicals, a goodly number of them also disrupt our body's immune response. I'm not indicating that they are a factor that's causing kids and adults to get sick with COVID-19. Far from it. There's not data in that respect. But we do know that, for example, the bisphenols uh, increase the body's uh, cytokine response. Cytokines are like signaling molecules, but they're the immune system signaling molecules. They send signals to certain types of cells to go fight infections. And one cytokine called IL-6, it's got a lot of attention in the news because the thing used to treat COVID-19 that seems to have some effectiveness is actually the antibody to IL-6 because the immune system in COVID-19 seems to go a bit haywire. And it could be just like a virus can make your body respond in funny ways against even its own cells. The mm. synthetic chemicals in our bodies can do the same thing. And the Teflon-like chemicals have long been known as immune disruptors. They reduce antibody response. Those are the peripheral substances I was talking about earlier, the PFAS. Um, they can mess with the antibody response, the kids' the kids' antibodies, the, the antibodies to diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, for example. Um, they have been associated with worse infections or more frequent infections in kids, mostly common colds and diarrheal illnesses, things like that. But that's not trivial because some kids can have serious illnesses, uh, serious effects from those illnesses. So that's the newest science. It's not just hormonal functions um, that are at play here when we're talking about these synthetic chemicals that we call endocrine disruptors. And the one you mentioned, IL-6, where is that commonly found again? So it's one of the body's immune boosters or, yep. or cytokines, natural. Um, it gets released uh, by uh, macrophages, cells that are meant to eat foreign objects, if you will. Um, and when the, the macrophage sees something that's a bit weird or out of control and needs and calls for, for backup, if you will, uh, the IL-6 is one of the molecules that gets sent out. Got it. So endocrine disruptor, understood. Got it. So 
And hormones and immune systems talk to each other all the time. We know sex hormones, for example, influence how our body's immune system works too. Yeah, can can you can we stay on the correlation, the, the direct the direct correlation between immunity and which I think is very topical and what we're hoping is, is some of the conversation begins to shift there because there are things we can do with regards to lifestyle, with regards to our environmental well-being that, that can affect our immunity in a positive way. Uh, can you just talk about the immunity and what you're finding right now and how that needs to come front and center? Well, in the middle of a, of a pandemic, um, you know, we were really focused on getting the right treatment and developing antibodies, vaccines, ultimately of some type to fight that infection. But more generally, the immune system also can cause things to go haywire. So we know that there are certain autoimmune conditions or conditions where the body reacts against itself. And some of them have been on the increase. So one of them is a, a condition that makes you unable to digest gluten protein in your diet called celiac disease. Uh, we recently did a study looking at kids with celiac disease compared to kids who came to a pediatric gastroenterology clinic, a GI clinic, to evaluate abdominal pain for other reasons, who didn't have celiac disease. And what we found were that the kids who had higher levels of certain pesticides were more frequently the ones who had celiac disease. We didn't know who they were based on the levels that we measured. And then in particular, and this again speaks to how sex hormones talk to the immune system, the boys seem to have more likely to have celiac disease if they had the flame retardants in their bodies and the girls were more likely to have celiac disease if they had those higher levels of the Teflon-like chemicals. So it's one study. It's not representative of the U.S. It's only representative of New York City to some extent. Uh, and it needs to be you know, my rule of thumb is you like to repeat things to get a consistent signal, but it really begs the question of what's going on in our bodies with regard to how the immune system maladapts as well as adapts to new infections. Well, that does beg the question, what the hell is going on in our bodies? And, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, we're, we're getting sicker and sicker and you see more, you see the rise of autoimmune, uh, you, you got all you have all these you know for lack of a better of a word wonky things happening <laughs> with regards to our health and well-being. Like what what what's your take on all of this? I know it's a big big loaded question, if you will. But. Yeah. So we begin the book with a snapshot of 1962 New York compared to it was published in 2019. Now seems like ages ago, but uh, it's not that long ago. But the 2019 New York uh, has a bunch of kids, the same kids in other features, but a goodly number of them have more fat. They're more likely to have diabetes, type 2 diabetes, uh, used to be a condition that was only for adults. And when I was a resident, I was starting to see the first kids with type 2 diabetes uh, across the country. Everyone else was seeing it at the same time. And that was because we realized that insulin-dependent diabetes is something, probably a, a mix of genetic and other factors, but non-insulin-dependent diabetes, as we used to call it, or type 2 diabetes, is really where you're over-revving the pancreas and 
due to obesity and other conditions and causing the system to go awry. Three decades ago, four decades ago, teachers would tell you they didn't have kids with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or autism or barely did. Um, we have certain cancers that are on the rise, testicular cancer. The, the story of Lance Armstrong was great from the perspective of treatment, not for other things, but I won't go there. But in, in general, we are seeing an increase in these conditions and you can't change the genome or genetics that quickly to explain the whole story. And that begs the question, what in, and specifically what environmental factors are causing that spike in conditions? And if we don't address it, we are sicker, fatter, and poorer because these conditions cost us all as a society. Endocrine disrupting chemicals cost the US $340 billion a year. That's 2.3% of our gross domestic product. And that's an annual cost insofar as these exposures continue at current levels. And yet, this is the scary thing that I, the scariest part of the research we did was that that's based on less than 5% of the endocrine disruptors we know, a subset of the diseases due to those few chemicals we studied, and then a subset of the cost due to those diseases due to those chemicals. So even if we got 2% of the gross domestic product, the annual productivity of our economy, it's an underestimate of an underestimate of an underestimate. So yes, we may profit for using these synthetic chemicals in our daily lives, but ultimately we are paying somehow. So my last question, what keeps you up at night and what has you excited in the morning? So let's tap into the pessimist and optimist in you. <laughs> sure. So, um, it's easy to fall into the trap of looking ahead to elections and what that might bring. And that I'd say is the more pessimist side of the equation. Um, but the optimist side is where I see the, the millennials and the next generation, if you will, of people who are going to lead us really becoming woke, not just to this issue, but to climate change. Climate change, you'd say, would be first. 10, 15 years ago, I didn't have the same kind of hope for this broad, widespread message. But many of the same factors that are contributing to climate change are the same factors that are driving endocrine disruption. It's no secret that many of the chemicals used in plastic, for example, come from petroleum, from oil. So the core of factor that's driving climate change is in many ways the same factor it's driving the contamination in our bodies that's contributing to disease and disability. So that gives me a lot of hope in that we could potentially get a two-for-one deal. And I feel as though the next generation is even better poised. I, mean, I teach undergraduates at NYU, and you know, I tell them they're the ones who are probably going to solve the problems for us. I'll be the, in there with them marching to make that happen. But the, the fact is that I may only be at the the tail edge or the leading edge of seeing all the change that we seek. Well, I, uh, I share your optimism. I'm hoping for change sooner rather than later. Um, but Agreed. Th thank you, Leonardo, uh, for all the great work you're doing and everyone you, you got to pick up. Uh, you just have to pick up Sicker, Fatter, Poorer. It's such an important book and we need to pay attention to this issue and the time is now. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.